Shareable is part of C-Suite Radio. I'm going to go out on a limb here and say that this either is or will become your favorite podcast. This is Shareable, the podcast so good, you got to tell someone about it. I'm your host, Jeff Gibbard. In every episode, I talk with someone about the impact that people and technology have had on their career and their lives. So, let's get to it. Shareable family. Ugh, shareable family. Wait until you hear this episode. Like, seriously, I have such a crush on today's guest. It, it was just amazing talking to her. Today, I spoke with Deb Gabor, like Zsa Zsa Gabor, and she's just as fabulous. She's the founder and brand dominatrix of Soul Marketing. Yes, founder and brand dominatrix of Soul Marketing, which is a brand strategy consultancy obsessed with building winning brands. Since 2003, the Soul Marketing team has led brand strategy engagements for organizations that range from international household names like Dell, Microsoft, and NBC Universal to digital winners like All Recipes, Cheeseburger, Home Away, and Retail Me Not. And, and that's not even just mentioning the dozens of other early stage tech and digital media titans that they've been involved with. Through InvestorPitches.com, a division of Soul Marketing, hundreds of startup founders have benefited from Deb's wizardry for crafting pitches that entice investors to open those wallets to the tune of up to $85 million. She's a displaced Midwesterner because her current home is in Austin, Texas, where she enjoys about 300 days or so of sunshine and what is arguably the best barbecue west of the Mississippi. You can reach Deb and the Soul team at soulmarketing.com and investorpitches.com, but you can hear her right here on Shareable. Welcome back to the Shareable podcast. I'm here today with Deb Gabor. Is it Gabor or Gabor? It's Gabor. Gabor, like Jaja. Like Jaja. That's exactly. Awesome. So, yep. who are you and what do you do? Who am I and what do I do? I'm a brand dominatrix and investor pitch whisperer from Austin, Texas. And what do I do? Uh, I help organizations create kick ass brands by uh, getting their customers laid. How about that for a description? Nobody will ever come on this show and do it better than that. And, and for those out there who have a shitty elevator pitch, just take note. Take note what just happened right there. <laughs> okay. Yeah, that. So I um just as a side note before we continue, I uh, I have I'm I'm thinking about like writing either a blog post or a book or an ebook or something called Red Pumas because I wear red puma sneakers everywhere and they always stand out. And when I give my pitch, like if I go into a networking event or whatever, and people you know stand up and say what they are, most people get up and they sound like they've just woken up from the dead. I stand up and I boastfully claim on LinkedIn. I'm the world's most handsome social media and content marketing strategist, a keynote speaker, and a suspected vigilante. What do you do? <laughs> so people don't forget that. In the same way, uh, you're a brand dominatrix. That's incredible. Yes, thank you very much. I actually um, – I think that elevator pitching has actually killed business communication. The whole idea that you stand in front of somebody and you have to park and bark and explain to them what it is you do. And I'm a, I'm a big fan of Simon Sinek. You ever, you ever watch Love his him. videos or read his stuff? You know, so the whole start with why thing, the reason uh, you know, that people really connect with you and, and, 
and organizations and people can create a lasting legacy is because you communicate from a place of purpose and passion and people buy why you do what you do. They don't buy what you do. So if I came into an interview or if I came into a room and introduced myself as a person who, you know, I do brand strategy, market research, I make scalable digital content. Um, I do brand consulting. I wrote a book, blah, blah, blah. You're going to glaze over, right? The, the elevator pitch is that, and I work with organizations actually to get them to, to change the way that they communicate so that they're creating a relationship with somebody. I call it the anti-elevator pitch. Maybe that'll be my next book is about Ooh. the anti-elevator pitch. But I honestly believe that the elevator pitch has really, really killed business communication. I work a lot with early stage companies who are pitching investors. I actually have a business where I work with early stage companies, helping them tell their story effectively through their investor pitch. Um, one of the things that I've learned is that uh, investors are really, really about investing in people. They're investing in innovations and ideas, and they want to see that there's a, a vision for what the world looks like when that problem that you're solving is solved. And that requires you to bond with them emotionally. And you can't do that through the classic elevator pitch. And I think what, what you're kind of alluding to, maybe I could be wrong, but what it seems to me in the elevator pitch, what it gets wrong is that we've standardized it. We've given it a format, we've given it a template, and it removes all all life from it, it removes all energy and creativity from it to even put in the idea of, of saying getting laid or putting in brand dominatrix <laughs> is completely counter to everything that they would write in any book about elevator pitches. So I, I see that it's, it's sort of like business gets a hold of something and like, oh, that's a good idea. What started out as a good idea becomes uh, packaged and produced and dumbed down and made into something that's just terrible. Because what you did was an elevator pitch. It's just like an exploding elevator pitch. It's, it's an unforgettable elevator pitch because it stands out from the rest. Well, and I think an elevator pitch shouldn't be a one-way communication. I think that an elevator pitch really should be an invitation to someone to have a conversation with you where they they learn more the more they talk about you. So my goal with an elevator pitch, and I do this for myself, I do this for my employees, I do this for the companies that we work with, the goal there is to raise eyebrows, get people's attention, have them lean in, have them want to hear more so that we can have a conversation. So if I get you excited by the fact that, you know, I, 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 I'm, I'm absolutely driven by and it's a compulsion to make other people successful in their business. So like I get out of bed every single day trying to make other people successful in their business. And I do that by helping them connect with their customers in a really, really unique way and build those emotional bonds and build this condition of irrationality. If, if I, if, if I tell you that you're like, huh, that's really interesting. Tell me more about how you do that. I don't even talk about what I do until like, you know, 10 minutes down the line, but I've already, I've already got you in the palm of my hand, right? If I tell you that I'm going to get your customers laid through branding, I've got you in the palm of my hand and you want to hear more. So that's kind of my theory on the elevator pitch. I'm sure that's not why you brought me on your show, but no, this is exactly know. why I brought you on. Okay. All right. <laughs> no, but I, I, I agree with everything you're saying. I often tell people if your elevator pitch or your, if you're at a network, Working event, if what you say doesn't get someone to ask a follow-up question, it means you haven't done something particularly compelling. So you have right. to you have to say something in a way that makes people go, well, what does that mean? Or what is that? Or that sounds interesting, and get them to lean in and go for a little bit more. 
Absolutely. I agree 100%. Well, okay. I think the thing that we've established in the first few minutes of our podcast together is that you're fucking awesome. So I want to go <laughs> deeper into that. Um, and actually, just a quick side note, elevator pitch to a completely parallel thing. In uh, at, We were talking a bit before we got started about online dating and, and that whole world. And one of the slides I have in one of my presentations is, uh, so what do you do? is the start of every bad interview date. And the way that I tell people to counter that is to banter and be not dishonest for the, the sake of manipulation, but to set the stage that we can have fun here. So I would always tell people to answer with things like, I have an Etsy store where I make capes for babies. Or um, ah, I sell a comfy underwear online at an online store called eunderwear.com. That's the kind of shit I make up. Yeah. Um, I actually, I ask the question, if somebody asks me on a date, and I actually went on an I went on a date last night. It was a first date. Um, it was pretty successful, you know, really, really nice guy. Uh, but you know, he asked the question, what do you do? And I said, you know what? I know you already know the answer to that. I'm a pretty widely known person. I am all over the internet. There's interview stories, book, you know, company, all that kind of stuff. It's really, really easy to find out what I do. And I said, you know, that's kind of a lame question. I'm going to ask, can I turn the table on you? And I'm going to ask you a question. What are you obsessed with right now? Nice. And that actually was a really, really good question because, you know, we got into the, you know, what's really important to him, what, what jazzes him up. And it turned out, um, it's mini trucks. We're probably not a good fit, me and this guy, but, um, it was really, really cool to have a conversation like that. I actually asked that question in job interviews too. So if I'm interviewing someone, uh, by the time they get to me, cause I'm the CEO of my company, usually they've been screened for all the technical stuff and that they're a cultural fit and all of that. I just want to see what they're like and are they going to be a good fit for our organization and help me deliver on, on our brand promise as a company. So I always ask them a question, what are you obsessed with? And I have a, I have a dear, dear favorite, one of my favorite employees, they're all my favorites, but this, this one, especially how she answered this question is the reason I hired her. So I said, what are you obsessed with? And she said, without hesitation, fried chicken. And I said, tell me Shut more about up. that. Shut <laughs> up. I'm not kidding. She is obsessed with fried chicken. Her name is Alexis. She's like, you know, out of the box new, just graduated from college last May. She's been with me going on a year now. Um, I call her Hurricane Alexis, but she is obsessed with fried chicken. The other question that I like to ask in a job interview or on a date is, tell me about your mom. Huh. Because I feel like... Uh, how it's less important what they say and more important how they say it. I'm looking for, you know, do you light up when you talk about your mom? Um, is there love there? Uh, is there admiration? Uh, do you have a good relationship with your mom? Cause that's going to tell me just a lot about how do you, how do you bond with people? So, um, I, those are a couple of good questions. Yeah. I like to ask, um, what would you do even if you didn't get paid for it? So similar to the obsession question. Um, mm -hmm. and then I know that the three, uh, the three factors of working at my company are, are you trainable? Are you competitive? And, um, are you purpose-driven? So those are three things that I try to dig into when I talk to people. So mm -hmm. yeah, cool. all similar things. Yeah. So let me get, I want to set the stage before we get into like the kind of meteor questions. Cause I need to know who I'm talking to relative to this one particular aspect, uh, technology. So I'm going to ask you a few quick questions just so that I know who I'm talking to. So right are on. you, are you an early adopter or a late adopter or somewhere in between? I'm probably somewhere in between. Okay, cool. On a scale of one to 10, how would you rate yourself as somebody that uses technology? Like 10 being like totally fluent, one being like, duh. Uh, I'm probably about an eight. Cool. 
Cool. Uh, okay, now you can only pick one here, but I'm curious, what are you more likely to do online? Create something, curate something, comment on something, or quietly watch? Uh, I am a curating and sharing kind of person. Okay, cool. You find good not stuff and share. Not a creator. Got it. Yep. Okay. I'm a remixer, not a creator. All right, all right. Cool. Uh, iPhone or Android? iPhone. I've cool. owned every i thingy ever made. That's awesome. I've and gotten all except the first one. In my book too. All that's except awesome. the first one. Yeah, that's well, the only I one I couldn't I get. Wasn't, yeah, I said I wasn't going to buy the first one, and I was on vacation, like up um, up in New Hampshire on the coast. And you know, the day it came out, I was like, "Oh, that's bullshit. I'm not going to get that thing." Whatever. The very next day. I was in line at an Apple store in Boston along with all of the other Porsche clubs and, and I bought it. So yeah, I, I've had every eye thingy, but, uh, you know, I don't know if we're going to get into this, but it's less about the technology for me. It's more about the story that it tells about me as a person and how it elevates my self-concept. You know, I am an iPhone person. I identify with the iPhone brand because I like the story that it tells me, tells about me as a human being and, you know, sort of how it helps me express myself to other people, probably in the same way as as you do with your red pumas yes well i think actually we we can naturally segue into the first question i want to ask you i want to set it up though that i believe that every human being regardless of our industry regardless of our job title regardless of anything if you live and exist in this world in this day and time you are impacted by two forces and those two forces are people and technology none of us is safe from having an experience with a human being positive or negative that has shaped the way that we view our world and then the same thing with technology whether it's disrupting an industry and giving you an opportunity or disrupting an opportunity and taking you out of an opportunity they're just there. So how has the way you've chosen to use technology and the way you've chosen to relate to it changed your life? Um, I would say that I use technology to enable me to do things that I otherwise couldn't do without it. And, uh, you know, sort of free up headspace for me to do the things that I'm really, really passionate about. I, I, I'm not an adopter of technology for technology's sake. I, I have a, a solid, I feel like I have a solid non-judgmental relationship with technology. Um, a lot of the choices that I make about technology are about how does this make my life easier? How does it make it better? And how does it allow me to have more control and, and really more kind of space for, for the sort of vision that, that I have in this life. I told you that it's a compulsion for me to make other people successful in their business. And I can only do that if I can probably make about 50% of my life better and, and easier to deal with so that I can have lots and lots of time to do all of the things that I want to do that are going to help me, you know, create billions of dollars worth of value by making other people, you know, propelling other people in their careers. Does that make sense? It does. Would you say that then uh, the, so you say you're kind of talking about technology very much as a facilitator of making things happen, but I kind of heard two things in there that you're using it one to make your life easier, but two, you're, you're understanding how it works so that you can help other people be more successful. Is it one more than the other, or is it really an equal combination of both? Or is it that by making your life easier, it frees you up to better understand how to make someone else's life easier? I think it's the third thing. I really think it's like making my life easier um, so that I can make other people's lives easier. Right. I, you know, I know people who are really, really addicted to technology. <coughs> Excuse me. I know people who are really addicted to technology in a way that they just can't stop buying it and using it. And there's, you know, there's a guy I know really, really well, and he's a great friend. He is a super early adopter. He has everything new. Um, everything is technology enabled in his life, you know, down to, you know, sort of home automation and, uh, 
<coughs> excuse me, office automation and things like that to the point that I feel like it's oppressive to him, but he just is so into the technology. I am so not that. I, I embrace technology. I love technology. Frankly, you know, my, my core business, I make a lot of money helping technology companies and companies that are enabling the delivery of their value proposition through technology to see the light of day. And I help them connect with customers and build really, really strong brands and, and have successful have successful marketing schemes and th- things like that. So I, I definitely honor technology and, and, I, and I love it in that way, but I, I don't want the use of technology to, to be oppressive. I don't want it to stand between me and a good relationship with another human being. So you use it to actually facilitate those relationships with another human being. You know, how we came together, for instance, you know, is people to people to people all facilitated by technology. Right. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Makes perfect sense. Well, kind of naturally moving from the technology thing back into the people. So tell me about someone that's changed your life and what exactly they did that changed your life. It could be at any point during your life. It could be a mentor. It could be positive. It could be negative. It's completely up to you. But tell me about something that you wouldn't be the same person talking to me today if it weren't for them. You know, that's really interesting. Um, You know, my mind goes immediately to a human being who was who was a friend who became a client who's kind of at the top of my business tree because we are just so, so, so aligned. I mean, she changed my she changed my life in a way that kind of got me rolling with my businesses and, you know, helped me start to make human connections. But I think the person who made the most profound impact on me really is my daughter. Uh, she's 19 years old. She's a freshman in college. Uh, I've been a single mom for the last 16 years about. It's just been the two of us. We have this really interesting kind of mother-daughter, friend, confidant, roommate kind of relationship. We are this sort of singular unit. And truly, uh, my relationship with her has been in the background driving everything that I've done. So starting a business and becoming very entrepreneurial, uh, kind of sort of blazing my own trail and creating my own path in this life has really been about making, making the world a better place for her and making her life easier. Um, and, and it's interesting, like, that's a really, really good question. And, and, you know, kind of two people, but I would say the more profound impact is probably from the girl. It's, I, I love asking the question because, you know, this show is not very old, although I've been talking to people for years now, you know, I had a previous podcast before this, but I really, when we relaunched and and launched this show, I really wanted to dig into these two things, the technology and the people. And in the short time that our show has been going on and the number of guests we've had, that answer has not been the same for anybody or even honestly, even like remotely close. Um, the people that have impacted all of the various successful people that I've spoken to, it's different. And the fact that you've chosen your daughter is a really interesting one. So to, to kind of follow up on that, if you're thinking about how your daughter has been the motivating factor, would you say that it's an element of wanting to set a good example? Is it a fear of, uh, of failing her and giving her the opportunities that she needs? Uh, is it, uh, something that she said or did that made you realize that this is, you know, you talk a lot about the why of what you do and, and the purpose driven side of it. You know, how would you say, uh, that it's really that your daughter has inspired you in this way, by the way, also Gilmore girls. Is that like a thing? So that's really funny. People who know us and they know us as a unit, they, they are, you know, they're, they always say, they're like, oh yeah, you're like, you're, you know, you guys are like, yeah, Lorelai and Rory. I mean, a hundred percent of the time, people who know us are like, you remind us of the Gilmore girls. Even they even say we look like them, you know, because both (laughs) of us are, are, are fair skinned with dark hair, you know? Um, and we look 
like we look exactly alike the the girl and I you know to the point that on social media you know Facebook says do you want to tag Deb Gabor in pictures of Hannah McEvely who's my daughter do you want to tag Hannah McEvely in pictures of me so I, it's bizarre but anyway um definitely not motivated by fear and and this is a really interesting thing is like I don't think I'm really afraid of anything I one of the things that I was afraid of I'm, I'm a big skier I love to ski and you know the harder the steeper the faster the bigger the the deeper the better for me I mean I'm very very adventurous and I love skiing because it's kind of meditative to me if I think about anything other than skiing I'm gonna eat it and kill myself um, there were things <laughs> with skiing that I was afraid of like jumping off of a cornice and getting into a getting into a particular ski run and things like that and most of the things that I have been afraid of in my life skiing is kind of this metaphor for my life most of those things like after I go and conquer them and you know jump off that cornice and get into the trail and then pop and drop my way all the way down to the bottom and I look up and I'm like what was I so afraid of so definitely I was not motivated by fear I've learned in my adult life that really there is nothing to be really fearful of because a lot of it is just false it's just bullshit I've made up for myself. So not that, not motivated by setting a good example for her um, because I really didn't know what I'm doing. I still wake up every morning thinking, how am I going to fuck up this kid's life today? You know what I mean? Um, So not about setting a good example. And I don't think I was trying to inspire her or anything. I really think that I was motivated by trying to carve out my unique role and relevance in this world so that she could see that I had that and that I'm, I'm healthy and amazing on my own. And, and just maybe, you know, she could find the, the space and the room to do that too. So maybe example setting, but it wasn't intentional. Got it. Got it. Just complete side note, as you're talking, we we are soul sisters on so many different things, and I think that it's imperative that we're best friends from this point forward. There's no argument. There's no discussion. It just happened. Okay. So <laughs> if you could go – if you could – you know, you've had this uh, career where you are just – you're like – you go full fucking full force at these things, um, and you've had a lot of success, and obviously you can't possibly have had the success without failure, um, and and obviously you are where you are, and you love where you are, and you love what you're doing, so forget the butterfly effect for a minute – and assume that you could go back and tell yourself one lesson earlier in your life, personal, professional, whatever, that um, that you wish you had learned earlier in your career. You're at this point. You've learned things. You could go back and fix one thing that has caused you shitstorms worth of uh, problems. What would you tell yourself? Huh. Wow. You ask really great questions. Thank you. Um, yeah. And I, I want to be thoughtful about the answer to this rather than just sort of like sp- – spewing a bunch of bullshit, which would be the normal thing that I would do. Um, yeah, I, this is, that's a really good question. I do, you, you mentioned this, I do everything full force, right? I am balls to the wall on pretty much everything in my life. I am really trying to learn this now. Um, and this is something, gosh, I wish that I would have learned this earlier in my career. Like back when I worked for other people back before I started my own company. Um, and that is to just slow the fuck down. Um, I am so, I, I do everything so fast. I, I do everything so full force that sometimes I miss out on the important connections and relationships and building and fostering innovation within my organization or among my friends and things like that, because I'm just 
I'm way, 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 way too energetic. So I wish somebody would have taught me early on to power down a little bit and let other people kind of take the lead. Since the beginning of my career, which goes all the way back to when I was 14 years old and I was a camp counselor at a day camp and, you know, had a job scooping ice cream at the local ice cream store, whatever, I was always the first person promoted right? I, you know, uh, in my ice cream job at 14, I was supervising ladies who were in their thirties. And, uh, I think that I missed out on a lot of opportunities for, for growth by learning from the people around me rather than just sort of going, going full out, trying to, you know, get ahead. Okay. So slowing the fuck down. Yeah. So yeah. it's, it's, it's basically the, uh, as a snowboarder, you'll, uh, I'm a snowboarder. I'm just learning to ski, uh, knuckle but, dragger. but I, knuckle I am, I am. I'm that guy that sits down on the mountain and pisses you off. And you're the one that carves up the mountain and makes moguls. And no, makes no, no, no. That's hell. you guys. And you're wiping all the snow off the mountain. <sighs> I'm learning to ski. Cut me some slack. But here's the point I'm trying to make is that it's that moment where you're sitting on the lift and you get to appreciate the beauty and the silence and that, that moment where you get to just relax into it because there's nothing to do. There's no emails to answer. There's no anything that it's bringing that into your actual career where you take those moments to sit, stop, slow down, appreciate the things around you and reflect on them. Yeah, it's that, but, but it's also, it really is actually the, the powering down too. Um, you know, I, I've taken classes on meditation. I've met with with a guru who specializes in teaching entrepreneurs how to be present and all that kind of stuff. And yeah, you know, the miracle morning and, you know, the, the habits of highly effective entrepreneurs and all that kind of stuff. They all say, wake up early in the morning and meditate and get your head clear and all that kind of stuff. It, it really is, like you said, kind of appreciating the joy in everyday things. I learned something about myself and this has been very, very recently. I had a dear friend point this out to me, just sort of like reflecting into my blind window everything I do every minute of every day that I am awake. So like the 16 waking hours a day, I'm strategizing. I'm strategizing things like, uh, I come home from the grocery store and I have the stuff that has to go upstairs, like the soap and the shampoo and the toothpaste and all that. I have the refrigerator stuff. I have the pantry stuff, whatever. I, you know, I leave the upstairs stuff on the kitchen counter and then I sit down on the couch and I'm going to turn on the TV or I'm going to read a book, but I can't stop thinking about the upstairs stuff that's sitting on the counter. And so I'm in my mind, I'm strategizing. I'm like, oh, I have laundry that is upstairs in the laundry room. It's in the washer. It needs to go in the dryer. So when the dry, when the washer buzzes that it's done, I'm going to pick up the upstairs stuff, carry it up the stairs, go to the first bathroom, load that up, go to the second bathroom. Then I'm going to change the laundry around. Around, turn that on and I'm going to come back down. And what happens is while my mind is constantly strategizing like that, I'm missing out on the opportunity to just be. And so that strategizing and that, that sort of strategery that's going on in my mind all the time, the world has reflected back at me that that it's good. I earn a living doing it. I built it, I built two companies around strategizing. People pay me big money to come in and strategize for them. So like I have validation that that works. What I haven't had in my life is validation that actually powering down and sitting and just being and existing is something that's going to work for me. So that's kind of my challenge. I, I totally hear you. And, um, 
and and you've been doing this a little longer than me, but I I feel myself having a lot of those same experiences where I'm sitting there on a weekend. I, for instance, I used to love video games. I can't even imagine sitting down and playing a video game these days. I think to myself, well, what are all the things I have to be doing? And then I have all the I write things on my check on my to do list just so that I can cross them off. Like I've already done them, but I put them on the to do list so that I can cross them off because I get that little little rush of dopamine that happens from doing that. So I completely yeah. see that and and. I, I hear you that the the learning to slow down is a real challenge, especially when, as you so eloquently put it, you're being rewarded. You're being shown that this is something good. And yet at the same time, you're not given any sort of validation. But good girl, you slowed down and just relaxed. Yeah, I, I actually think this is one of the reasons why I've been single for 15 years is the fact that I can't just slow the fuck down. Wow. That's that's some profound shit right there. I know, right? Is that what you were expecting? We were going to talk about technology, but you brought me on here. No, I made no, no, myself no, no, no. very, very vulnerable. I'm like telling you all of my innermost, deepest secrets. You must be, you must be like the Oprah of business podcasts. You know what? I'm literally. That's going to be our new tagline. I you said it, so now I can use it. Uh, it was on my <laughs> podcast. It's a thing. It's happening. Um, I, I, I'll take that. I'm totally cool. No, but I mean, I didn't. I don't have people on the show so that I can just talk about Twitter or like you know iPhones. Really what I'm fascinated by is that we are all changed by something that happens in our lives and, and getting into that space, that vulnerability, our second episode was about vulnerability in many ways. Um, and I think that these are going to be topics that come out because there's so much hype around all this shit, whether it's technology or whether it's people in business acting like everything's okay. I think the truth of the matter is, is that most people are much more connected to the failures or the things that we struggle with or things like fraud syndrome, that that's going to come up over and over and over. Mm, that stuff yeah. is what's real. What's not real is this, this high gloss pretend life that everything is just going to be okay. And the technology is the greatest thing since sliced bread and it's going to make everything better. The challenges are really where we learn to grow uh, into ourselves and, and become better. Right. Right. Yeah, I agree. So some deep stuff. It is, man. It's like crazy. But here's where I want to pivot to. I'm going to give you the opportunity now that we've gone into that deep, dark hole to come back out and give some real practical advice to people listening, because we've, we've kind of gone through the different uh, facets of your career and your life, and we now get to know you a lot better. So you deal with brands all the time and startups, and you're advising people. And the audience of this show is still yet to be defined because it's still so new. But uh, what I anticipate will be our audience is going to be entrepreneurs, business owners, uh, specifically small business owners and medium business owners, people that are trying to make shit happen. And they're trying to figure out how other people have done it. So if you are going to advise someone in 2017, one thing that they could go and do today that would make their life better, whether it be something related to people, something related to technology, or eating more fried chicken, whatever the (laughs) answer might be, what do you think that one thing that you would advise people to go do is? Well, if your audience is going to be entrepreneurs or people who are trying to make shit happen uh, in business, I I hope this is not too self-serving, but this is the reason that I did this. I think they should read the book Branding is Sex because – It is a very, very practical how-to guide for really defining the core DNA of the brand. And it's really important in growth organizations, especially in emerging industries and emerging markets, um, and especially if there's underlying technology, either it's a technology product or it's a value proposition that's going to be enabled through technology, that you really, really understand your brand. And, And the basics 
the basics of branding um, are are this, that your brand can't exist without your customers. Your brand lives in the hearts and minds of your customers and that your brand can't be about you. It has to be about them. And if you get this book, it's almost like a workbook with a bunch of case studies, but it's a step-by-step process for really identifying what is the core DNA of the brand by going out and understanding who are the people you're going to serve and answering these three really, really important questions. This is like the mini MBA in branding. And I think that this is something that will really help this, this emerging audience. And that is answering these three questions. The first question is, what does it say about someone that they use this? So that could be, you know, like, what does it, you know, what does it say about you that you wear red Pumas, right? What does it say about me that I drive an Audi Q5? What does it say about this person that they use an iPhone? So what are the self-expressive benefits of the brand? The second question is, what is it that we do that singularly solves a problem for someone? What is the singular thing that we deliver that you can't get anywhere else? So this speaks to differentiation. There's a lot of stuff out there that is different just for different sake, and it's not meaningful. The idea of singularity is really trying to dive into and go really, really deep to understand what is the unique thing about us that no one else can deliver, that truly only we can own. It can be an, an essence of the way we deliver the brand. It can be a feature. It's very rarely a feature, but it could be a feature. Um, it could be something that the brand enables you to do, something that the brand enables you to feel, but it's the onlyness. And so singularity, I always like off the top of my head, a brand that's very, very singular. Um, I talk about cars a lot because they're just, they're very pervasive. You see them all over the road. Singularity, I think about Jeep, singularity, it's rugged. Um, I think about Volvo, singularity, it's all about safety. So like, what's the one thing? And then the third most important question, and this is, you know, this is really where the essence of getting in touch with, you know, who are the people who are going to be using your brand or using your company, using your service or product is to ask the question, everyone wants to be a hero in the story of their life, right? I want to be the hero. You want to be the hero. I don't know anybody who doesn't want to be the protagonist and like come out on top in the story of their life. How does your brand make that person a hero? If you can answer those three questions before you go to market with anything, it will help you communicate more clearly. It will give you insight into who are the people who are going to buy your shit um, and how you can make their lives better. And, and, you know, that would be that would be my advice is like buy that book. I wrote that book to give away the methodology because I am compelled to see other people be successful in their business and I want to give I want to give them that. And so this is a way that I can create billions of dollars worth of business value by teaching people how to do this. That is fantastic. I mean, you had me at the first question. I talk a lot about, uh, and I'm not a, a branding person. I'm specifically a social business strategist, but I always talk about how the the purchase decisions we make are part of our identity. Why I choose red pumas is because I choose red pumas and that is how I'm choosing to define myself. That that's my thing. I, I take ownership over that. Um, and and I had a conversation with uh, Tom Asacker. I don't know if you know Tom Asacker, but I had him on the podcast and we talked a lot about the, the overlap between brand and identity and how mm-hmm. the, the brand represents the people that buy iPhones see themselves as the type of person that would buy an iPhone. Uh, more often than not. And same thing for Android. It's, it's why we have the war in the first place between iPhone and Android. So all of those questions really resonate with me. I definitely encourage people to read Branding as Sex, and we'll come back to that in a minute. I want to hit you with some rapid-fire questions. Are you ready? I am. All right, cool. Do you have your phone nearby? I do. Okay, what are the apps that are in your dock? Phone, email, Chrome, and Snapchat. Wow, you're a Snapchatter? 
Yeah, it's the primary way I communicate with my 19-year-old daughter. Otherwise, I can't get her attention. Oh, you're totally going to need to follow me because you will never follow anyone on Snapchat that uses Snapchat like I use Snapchat. And I guarantee you that. You might have a healthier ego than I do. Uh, maybe I do. I don't know. I, I think it's healthy, but I, I like literally. I'm not like the, I'm not like a big deal on Snapchat or anything. But I do have a small loyal following of people who may only use Snapchat specifically to follow my stories because of the way that I use it. I use the filters to create characters, so I have something like 40 different characters based upon the lenses that they provide day to day. So one day you'll meet Freddie. Uh, and I'll send you a message on Snapchat. Next rapid fire question. If you had one application uh, that you can't live without, it could be mobile, desktop, or web, just something that you can't possibly live without, it makes your life so much better, what is it? Uh, Trello. Got it. You're into the boards. I, I am. It actually changed my business. It's it's really interesting because we we had this like really lame weekly staff meeting where nobody really cared. And so I, I created a cool Trello bar board and and gave everybody gave everybody the opportunity to like post their stuff and 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 it's a really sort of it's kind of a rapid fire way for us to make it through all of our existing projects and really have rich discussions that are significant about the things that we need to talk to and we can document everything else on the Trello board. Yeah, I'm totally gonna talk to you about that offline. Uh, Next question. All social media sites, all of them are deleted tomorrow except for one. And you, I have designated you, Deb, Queen B, to choose which one lives on. Which is it? Um, I'm a middle-aged woman, so I think it has to be Facebook. All right. Not a bad answer. One book every business person should read. Caveat, we're already telling people to read Branding as Sex. That's obviously the answer. But beyond that, What's one other book that every business person should read? Uh, positioning. It's by Reese and Trout or Trout and Reese. It is the kind of classic and quintessential book about carving out unique role and relevance in a marketplace. And, and it, it's a classic. It's been updated for many, many years. Um, positioning. Yes. Awesome. Okay. Final rapid fire question. If you could have any one superpower, what would it be? Uh, wow. Um, by the way, I can, I am going to deconstruct you so much based upon your answer on this. I, that's why I love this question. No pressure, no pressure, right? None. Um, if I could have one superpower. Wow. Uh, what do I lack in my life? That's the superpower I want. I'm really into archetypes, right? So what I lack in my life really is the the powering down. So if I could make myself into just this wobbly bowl of jello uh, that doesn't think or do or anything, that how would, would be how my would, superpower. How would you get yourself out of it though? Is there like a timer? Yes. <laughs> so Because otherwise you're basically just converting yourself to a wobbly puddle of goo. And I don't think that I would want to be permanently a wobbly uh, puddle of goo, Um, maybe just temporarily. So, like, it it would be the superpower of becoming a wobbly puddle of goo, say that 10 times fast, and and it only lasts for about 15 minutes at a time. Okay. Uh, Just a suggestion, you could also, for the same effect, choose being able to stop time without aging and also during that time slow your mind down to a crawl and experience the positive benefits of it. Uh, yes. Thank you. You're welcome. As a comic book nerd, uh, I, uh, I'm happy to help. So Deb, you were 
not only nice enough to come on to this show, but you were a fucking awesome guest. Oh, uh, so thank you for coming on, spending time with us. I want to give you some uh, time right now that's completely yours to tell us about what you're working on, where people can go to get involved, how they can support you, how they can help you. Literally anything you want to talk about right now is your chance to either pitch, sing a song, read a poem out loud. It's up to you. This is your time. Go for it. Ah, well, you know, really what I should do with this time is is promote the next book, which is this this book of uh, haikus about online dating. But I think that's for another podcast. Um, what I am obsessed with right now is I'm getting another little business off the ground and it's it's called the eight hour brand. And what I want to do is through uh, kind of personal workshops I say personal workshops, maybe they're, you know, corporate workshops or a workshop where you can sign up. I'm going to be in different cities where you can sign up and you can come and spend an eight hour day with me unfucking your brand. Um, so look for the eight hour brand, which uh, should be coming to a city near you. Or I, you know, if you're, if you're listening to this and you are uh, an entrepreneurially spirited leader, an entrepreneur, an executive, you don't have to be a marketing person. Um, you could be the leader of an organization and you would like me to come in and, you know, work with your exec team or your leadership team for a day and take you through the process of, of defining and articulating your core brand DNA. I'm doing more and more of this sort of like one day workshop kind of stuff. And also I love to speak to big groups of people. I love to be in a big room and, and talk to lots of people and inspire them with brands. So if you think of any opportunities you want me to come speak, please contact me. Um, other things you can do buy that book. Branding is sex, get your customer laid and sell the hell out of anything. I didn't write the book to sell books. I wrote the book to get that methodology in front of as many people as I can, and then help propel me into conversations like this, like what I'm having with you today. Um, and you know what, find me a date, find me a date. I got you covered, but you, it's going to be tough for me to find someone that is worthy of all that you bring to the table. Also, uh, they're going to have to have some sort of ability to turn you into a wobbly puddle of goo and slow your mind down. And that is real (laughs) hard to come by. Oh, well, I know exactly what will make me feel like that. It's not appropriate to talk about on this show. Fried chicken, I know. So, <laughs> Deb, thank you so much for coming on to the show. You were a kick-ass guest, and you're totally coming back, and we're totally best friends. Uh, and I can say that because I am the Oprah of business podcasting. Boom. <laughs> That's called a callback in the industry. Ladies and gentlemen who have been listening, thank you for listening as always, and keep coming back because this episode, like the rest, are shareable. That was so much fun. I can't even believe the guests that we get. I mean, can you believe the guests that we get? I can, actually. I schedule them. Awesome. Well done. Well, this episode for me was an absolute blast, and I hope everyone listening really enjoyed it. But now that we're in this fun little outro, what should people do next? Hmm. I think they should check us out on iTunes. Definitely go check us out on iTunes. And when you get there, subscribe, drop us a review, and then what's that one last thing we want them to do? Share the episode. Oh, that's right. That's right. It's in the name. So please share this episode. Tell everyone you know. And we'll see you on the next episode of Shareable. Bye.